Our Bible reading this week is from Psalm chapter 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Hi everyone. Let me pray and then we'll get into this passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word up again together as your people. And we pray that as we see David expose himself, that we can come before you and bring all our fears and anxieties before you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, it's probably well known to all of us, uh, post-COVID, that anxiety is a thing. And it's been on the rise. There was research done in, uh, uh, by Queensland um, University uh, that in 2020, anxiety, at least it was identified, rose by 25%. And one in four people uh, experience it at some point in their life in Australia. That's what some of the research says. It's a thing. But actually, not all anxiety is a disorder, disorder or diagnosed. But it's important that we don't let it spiral if we just think broader, if we simply ask the question, what do you fear? Because when we ask that question, we get to the, the root of, what are the things in my life that I do actually find, and I get anxious about, that I think over and over about, that I worry about? So I, I, I'm going to make a bold statement. We all have things that keep us up at night at some point. <laughs> it's not that bold, is it? We all have those things, those moments where we think, what am I going to do about this? And I can't stop thinking about it and I can't get to sleep and it happens over and over and over. Sometimes it's crippling for us and it's heartache and it's painful. We all have these things we can't stop thinking about. We have certain points in time that make living in this world just plain difficult and stressful. And sometimes they're things that are happening within us and sometimes they're things that are being done to us that are painful. And sometimes anxiety is, is diagnosed. It could be for a season, it can be cyclical, it something we have to deal with. And for some of us, we just haven't given enough thought to the fact that if we let the concerns of the world affect, affect us, we may actually need to confront some things. Now, why say all this? Just because I really wanted to bring down the mood? No, because I want you to come with me today in Psalm 13 because God knows this to be true. And Psalm 13, like many other passages, is a wonderful reflection for us as a way to live as a Christian in this world that can be full of all sorts of fears and anxieties. So today, 
my hope and prayer, and I, and, and I hope today you'll, it'll be yours, is that we take the approach of Psalm 13 and we live it and breathe it out. Not just in this moment of time together, but it's our way. Because it's so simple. And I want to suggest to all of us, with wherever you're at, that the Christian life, if we bring Psalm 13 into the picture, we come closer to God and we grow in our relationship with Him. Now, before we get into it, one qualification is, is that it's important when we deal with these things is we're not saying, cast aside all the ways you deal with your health and your mental health and just read the Bible. That hopefully is a silly thing to say. But actually, as we do look after ourselves, God wants us to bring all of those things that we do and do then in relationship with Him. And this bigger thing is the important part in which we think about it. That it is important to look after ourselves. It is important to get the help we need. And it is important also to live for God. And that's where our attention gets drawn today. So what is this psalm? Let's look into it. Well, first of all, it's a general psalm of David as it says at the beginning, for the director of music, a psalm of David. There's no way, as far as I can tell and what I've read, there is to know exactly the context of this psalm, unlike Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is very specific. Uh, in this psalm, we'll find that David has an enemy. We just don't know exactly what he's talking about. But in Psalm 3, David's enemy is quite distressing. David's enemy in Psalm 3 is a little bit like if I said to now, hey, I've got an enemy. Let me tell you about my enemies. Their names are Chloe, Emily, and Ethan, my children. And I need your help because what they are doing is they're taking over my household. They've locked me out. They're taking it over. They're going to rule the house, and I think they're going to kill me. That's the stress. I said the three of them because I didn't want to pick any one of them out. So I want to throw them all under the bus. Now, uh, <laughs> that, that is, that's kind of funny, right? But that's actually what's happening to David in Psalm 3. His son Absalom is doing that. You go to um, 2 Samuel and read, read of it and you'll see his son. The kind of distress we're talking about. I'm sorry, uh, Scott and um, Rowdy Randy, it's more than sad. This is mind-blowing when you think of the anxieties that David has in his life, right? It's beyond sadness. It's just trauma. His son was trying to kill him at one point. He Saul, the king, who... You know, kind of liked him, kind of didn't like him, and God raised him up. Got so jealous of David because God's favor was on him. He was trying to kill him and chase him all around the countryside. He throws a spear at him and pins him, and oh, it's distressing. That's the kind of life David's in. But in this psalm, we don't know what particularly it's talking about, but we know David has enemies. It's a big deal. So let's get into it. Let's have a look. So in Psalm 13, we read the first two verses. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? 
David is saying to God, is this forever? I know who you are. He doesn't say, how long, you horrible ruler of the world. He says, how long, Lord? How long? The God who I know, the God who has raised me up, yet who has, who has actually given me victory, who was the one who helped me defeat Goliath. How is that possible? And yet, Lord, my experience right now and my feelings are driving me to desperation and asking, how long? Is this my life now? Is this my forever life? Is distress what I must now face? Is my life going to be snuffed out now? See, his second how long, how long will you hide your face from me? As if he hasn't made the point enough, he's saying, you're literally turning away from me, it seems, God. How long will you do nothing? Because that's what it seems like. See, the first thing that David does when faced with genuinely... And when, when, when he uh, is faced with distress, he cries out to God. And he doesn't hold back. But he cries out to God as his Lord. He cries out without bitterness, but from a position of knowing the sovereignty of God. But he asks the real questions because what's before him does not make any sense. I want to suggest to you today, the beautiful thing about this psalm is that David does not sugarcoat his distress. He's saying, you are, you are Lord, but look at my life. Help. He keeps crying out to God and he's asking him, what is going on? And he does not get it. He is so distressed. How long... Will it be like nothing is going to happen? The first thing David does is he cries out to God, but he cries out more. See, the first thing he did, he he brought it to God and asked God what he's doing, but then he kind of turns introspectively and tells God what's going on for him. Look at verse 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? You see, he is not just distressed. He cannot stop thinking about it. He's wrestling day after day. I have sorrow in my heart. He is absolutely broken and he can't stop thinking about it. He is totally distressed. He's all in his head. He can't stop thinking about it. See how it says, I'm wrestling with my thoughts. And I'm doing it day after day after day. It's the common human experience when we're faced with difficult things, isn't it? When we're up at night and we can't stop thinking. When we're distressed and this thing is just playing over in our head over and over and over again. Sometimes because it's real. Sometimes because we blow it out of proportion. But for whatever reason, in this moment, David is in absolute distress. And he's telling God, how he's feeling about it. He's telling God what he's doing. He's thinking about it all the time and he can't let it go. What keeps you up at night? Have you brought it to God? You see, 
we all, whether it's some where we actually do need to get some help, whether it's just what's going on in our life, we have those moments where we could say, I think, I'm wrestling with my thoughts and I'm thinking about this thing day after day. And he brings it to God. So he, he comes to God and he asks God about what God's doing and he cries out to him. And then he cries out to God and asks him, how long am I going to have be thinking this way and what's going on for him? And then he brings to God the actual situation in which we don't get the context, we just know that he has an enemy. The last how long that he cries out, how long will my enemy triumph over me? He brings the issue before God. In this instance for David, there's some kind of injustice. Because the bad guys, his enemies, are winning. And he's asking God, he's kind of saying, really? How long? You, you, raised, like, you raised me up. You put me into this position. How long? David cries out to God in great distress, fear, and anxiety. So I want us to think about, and for you to ask the question, if the Lord is the Lord of your life, is this what you do? Do you cry out to him always about everything? When there's something that is overwhelming you, when it's the day-to-day things of life that keep, you keep thinking about, whether you're not thinking about them in a healthy way or whether it's something that's some, uh, some injustice that's been done to you, or it's just the way of life that we're in. Do you bring them to God and cry out to Him? After all, it's not like if we don't cry out to God, He doesn't know, is it? So why not foster the relationship that you're supposed to have with God by bringing it to Him? But that's not the end of this psalm, as short as it is. David does more, doesn't he? David then asks for an answer. Have a look at verse 3 and 4. He says, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. After he cries out, he doesn't just say, well, I've ticked that box and now I'll move on and now I've got to deal with the situation and try and defeat my enemies. He cries out and he then says to God, answer me. Please help me. See, God, instead of facing away, can you turn back to me and answer? He's saying, I have no other option. I can pretend that I'm in control and can fix the situation. I can lay up awake at night. Maybe he's in one of the caves, if it's one of those scenarios. I can lay in this cave with a rock for my pillow and think about how I'm going to defeat my enemies and come up with the solutions. But actually, I'm only ever going to succeed if you answer me and you deal with the situation. So God, please answer. David's saying, I have no other option than for you to respond to me. 
Why do that? Because he knows who's in control. He knows that the illusion of control, that imagine being a king who's ruled for so long, uh, a king has so much control at a point. Though if they've got any wisdom, they know how fragile it is. The illusion of control is destroyed when we tell the one who actually has control, can you please help? That this will only get sorted ultimately by you. Give light to my eyes. He basically says, if this situation isn't dealt by you, not as an ultimatum, but just by understanding the reality of, of God's sovereignty, I'll die. The enemies will win. You're in control, not me. What about you? You see, so often, our growing as a Christian is about living out more and more that we're not in control. And the reason that we have all different types of fears and anxieties and worries is because we play the illusion game of thinking there are some things that I can be in control of and God can have those things. And then when we come and think a little bit more like Psalm 13 and as we try and figure out how to live in this life and actually take responsibility for the life that God's given us, we still remind ourselves time and time again, it's all ultimately up to God. How do you go on the ground, in your biggest issues of life, living out the control that you believe God has, the sovereignty that He has, the rule over your life that He has? Or do we play lip service to it sometimes? I certainly think sometimes that's one of the biggest struggles for me. When something bad happens, I just want to sort it. And it's good to actually want to sort it. But to not bring it before God and not to ultimately go, even if I try and come up with a solution and it's a good one, it might not work if you don't want it to. That's like, God, you're in control. Fears and anxieties are dealt with in a, in a lot more... They're kind of just extinguished in so many ways, aren't they? when we realize our fear is about the fact that we want this thing to fix and we can't fix it, and yet God is the one who act, we give it to Him. Can we say to God, look and answer me, God. I know what will happen will be because you're in control, so just help me live that way. David asked God for an answer. And then lastly, verses 5 and 6. After he cries out, after he, he asks for an answer, he makes a decision on how he lives in light of his relationship with God and its trust. He makes a decision on how he uh, lives because of what he knows about God in verses 5 and 6. Let's have a look. But I trust in your unfailing love. 
My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Here is, I think, one of the most important things in this passage. When does David say these things? Not after the enemies have been defeated. That's irrelevant. It's not a cause and effect thing here. You fix the enemies, I'll trust in your love. He's not giving God an ultimatum. He's not waiting to see that it works out in the way that he wants it to because God may have other plans. He says, but even though the enemies seem to be winning and I've expressed how my emotions and my experiences aren't lining up with what I know about you, I'm going to come back to what I know about you. And I know that your love does not fail. And I know that that love brings salvation. And so my heart is going to rejoice. And a rejoicing heart that the Psalms so often do and so often lead us to is a singing heart. A heart that praises God. That whether he is destroyed, God has been good to him is his answer. That is maybe the most confronting part of the passage. It's not the fact that we should cry out to God. It's the fact that we take this posture while we're in the depths. When we're in the heartache. Brothers and sisters, even in in a room this size, there's a reasonable amount of us here, more than likely statistically, that are right now deeply troubled with anxiety. And that's heartbreaking and it may cause you so much difficulty and grief and our prayer should be for one another that we get the help that god has given us in this world with all the, all the different ways that we can deal with um, our illnesses but in that depth that you may be in right now now is the time for you to see the unfailing love of god it may not particularly fix anything emotionally right now but it transforms your relationship with him and it takes you to a place of contentment that maybe we don't have my heart rejoices in your salvation david says even when we don't feel like we're going to be saved from our situation But we can rejoice while actually in grief and trauma because of who God is. Now, why do this though? Why take this approach? Now, some of you may, some, some, some of us today may, may not necessarily be, be a Christian or thinking this, I'm not sure what I think about this. But some of us could even say, could be thinking, well, that's good if, 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 if you know, religion is, is your crutch. If this helps you get through this messed up world, great, you have at it. But I just don't buy it. Why do this? Because the unfailing love of God and His salvation is actually eternal. That whatever messed up life we're living now, there is a time beyond... That is forever. David asks, am I in this situation forever? 
And we know that God's salvation is forever. Why do this? Well, not because David is the perfect role model. We know that, right? David was an inadequate king in the end. And a few weeks ago, we heard Psalm 53. And as distressing as David's situation is right here, what David did and the way that he lived and the decisions he made, committing murder and adultery, were far more horrific. We don't do this because he is our role model. We do this because God's unfailing love does not rest on David, but the one that the Psalms point us towards, Jesus. And Jesus had his how long, O Lord, moment too, didn't he? He didn't say those exact words, but when he was on the cross, what did he say? He expressed to his father that abandonment when he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is not only saying, like David did, you're forgetting me. In those words, he is saying, you are pouring your wrath for the sin of the world on me. And he was there willingly. The love of God does not fail. His salvation does not fail. Because Jesus went and took all of our brokenness upon himself. The distress that we're feeling right now, the sin that we have committed, the pains that we have, Jesus has dealt with. Anxiety will not be a thing eternally. Fears will no longer be a thing. Because God's love does not fail and his salvation is guaranteed because Jesus didn't just cry out those words, he died and rose again. It's not just a crutch. It's the ultimate reality that we rest in. Is that what you can rest in? Psalm 13, I think, is a go-to in life. How do I deal with this thing that's going on? I should cry out to God. I should bring it to Him. I should ask Him for an answer. And no matter what happens, I need to remember who God is and what He's done. It's Psalm 13. Come back to it over and over again. Never forget the psalm and how it is because we know where we're going. We have our fears and anxieties. We ultimately have two options. We can try and deal with them the best we can, with the best strategies and the brilliant things we can, and we can try and play the game, the illusion of control. Or we can cry out to God. We can talk to Him. We can tell Him what's going on for us. We can tell Him how we're not coping with what's going on. We can tell Him the situation, and then we can ask Him for help. And regardless... And right in that moment, we swing all the way back to the salvation that he's given us and the love that it is. What I love about this psalm, while it's quite full on, it's actually quite simple, isn't it? If you trust in Jesus, you just keep coming back to him. He knows anyway. So just bring it to him. Relate to him. It's just making it intimate, personal. 
What's confronting for you, you bring to God. You depend upon Him. Let's commit today to bring our life to God in a Psalm 13 kind of way. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, a lot happens in our lives in all sorts of different ways. But one thing we do know is that your love cannot fail. Your salvation is real. So help us to bring all our life to you, to trust in you. Amen.